Well, Bud, the team is coming out of the tunnel now as we get ready for the kickoff of this game. Here we go. And we have to say this starting freshman is a little different looking. I'd have to agree. The Fighting Irish have never had a player that looks quite like him. And that's even going back to when Newt Rockney was the coach. Your eye kind of just goes right to him. He doesn't even look like a football player. In fact, the players all seem to be trying to steer clear of him. Yes, they certainly are. Almost afraid of him. Maybe it's because he's from France. Could be. The Hunchback of Notre Dame will not be presented at this time, so we may bring you this special podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. It's time for Peculiar Podcast, hosted by Pat Cashman. Gorgeous to look at. And Lisa Foster. She's dangerous. See, you're on. Ready or not, it's Pat and Lisa. <laughs> can you dig it? Yeah, yeah, I can dig it. Yeah. It's love and time, time. All around the water tanks, waiting for a train. A thousand miles away from home, sleeping in the rain. And I'm playing the music of Jimmy Rogers. Uh, because uh, even though he passed away a long time ago, I've been watching this, uh, belatedly watching this Ken Burns show on country music. Did you, Have you seen that? No, Ken Burns, though, is a really good documentarian, if that's the right word. He is yeah, a great is right filmmaker. He, um, I watched... Great, uh, he's an American he, trader. I watched really his series is. on... Yeah, I watched his series on Vietnam. I know which one you watched. Was... I, you watched the one on baseball, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yes, over and over. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Let me. Yeah, that's my thought. Although yeah. I bet that would be interesting. He's it a good filmmaker. Great, yeah. I bet it would. That thing is kidding aside. Like Twenty-six years old now, unbelievably. Uh, that he's done. He's been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, he's done them on uh, yeah. jazz, for example. Um, the Roosevelts, national parks, you name it. I mean, he's done all kinds of stuff. And uh, in this mm-hmm. latest one, uh, it's been out for a while now, country music is, you think, eh, I'm not that big into country music. You'll love it. It's fantastic. I'm not a big country fan either. I didn't think. Mm-hmm. Until you realize it's really not a distinct thing. It's it's very much influ- influenced rock and roll. It takes elements from jazz and mamba, samba, everything. It's all in there in country music. Mm -hmm. You can dance to it. You can make love to it. You can play it at a funeral. It has something in it for everybody. Country music is about human emotions. We're always looking for those topics that are going to tell us a lot about who we are, not just to the era that we cover, but who we are now. It's phenomenally great music about people who felt their stories weren't being told. I think that's utterly American. Doesn't mention Dave Dudley, though. I I got on my wheels and I went out of the town, Dragon. I had a big old tree look like I wrecked a beer wagon. I got a hospital bill and a judge waiting for me to pay. So how you doing? I, I, I'm just uh, as giddy as a colt. I'm, it's I'm, summertime and I love it. 
I know you do. But you usually start to get depressed at summertime only because you jump ahead to the fact that summer is going to be over instead of so i'm very proud of you for actually enjoying yeah. it this time you usually get depressed all right around the first yeah, well, part i, I of know summer, it's winding but... down days are getting shorter uh yeah so but it, it, i think it's a distinct cashman trait a psychological trait of some kind i remember when I don't know why you can't. I don't know why you can't enjoy the what the other seasons bring. Yes. No, what the other seasons they bring. bring. Spring is a fabulous sorrow, season. melancholy. Season fall is my favorite. I'm not a huge summer fan. I'm not. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's sticky. Um, I don't like things blowing up. Um, I, I'm more of a fall. Fall settles in. Yeah. The air is crisp. The falling leaves. Drift by the window, the autumn leaves of red and gold. The holidays are coming. You get to—it's just something about fall that I like. I'm happy when summer's done. Like you just did a commercial for the American Autumn Institute. <laughs> I'm not a fan of summer. I don't like being hot and sticky and cranky. I love it. I love it. I love so. the, I love the uh, oncoming hay fever, the, my sneezing, itching. I love it. I love it all. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, a- anyway, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's cool. But um, I, I was going to say that's a distinctly Cashman trait. When, uh, when, I, when my kids were little, particularly my son, Chris, we'd say, hey, buddy, guess what? Uh, we're gonna go to uh, Hawaii next next month, and he'd go. Oh no, we're not. I know something's gonna fall through. I just know we're not gonna go. I said, "What do you mean? I just told you oh we we're, we're going. We're, we're booked. <laughs> nah, something <laughs> will go God. wrong." Do you remember uh, <laughs> who was the cartoon character that used to go? Oh, uh, Lippy the Lion. Remember him? Lippy the Lion had a no. sidekick named Hardy Har Har, which was a funny name because <laughs> because Hardy was anything but funny. He was always depressed or depressive. And he'd go, well, Lippy, I just know something's going to go wrong. And uh, he, he usually did, but Lippy was happy-go-lucky. Hardy was uh, gloomy all the time. And and that's kind of oh how. God, I can't believe you remember this. This is back from 1962, Hanna yeah. Barbera cartoon series. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a a lion and a hyena. Yeah. Which which was which? Oh, Lippy the lion, obviously. Hardy and was then, the so hyena. Hardy Har Har was the hyena. <laughs> yeah, you would think a hyena would be laughing. I all do the time. remember this. Now but that not I'm Hardy. Look, now that I'm looking this up, yeah, that's <laughs> so very funny. Oh dear. Oh my, we'll never see land again, Lippy. Oh, shucks, Hardy. Stop your worry, Wharton. Hey, there's an island dead ahead. Oh, it's probably infested with hostile natives. Oh, dear. Oh, my. Funny the stuff you remember. Why does the stuff from your childhood... Well, I guess you didn't have a lot of other information crowded in there. Like, I had no idea what was going on in politics or history or math or anything. I didn't care about any of that. I only had time and place for that be cartoons nice? and the Three Stooges. That was it. So we had a couple of celebrities uh, pass away. One I just told you about. You didn't know. No, um, I didn't. Hugh Downs. And you're, and you're right. He's somebody you thought, like, there are celebrities that you're like, oh, I thought he were, she was already dead. Yeah, but I no, did. But no, he made it to 90, 99 years old. How he would you like just, to be 99 right and your birthday is the next day and you die? 
You're just that much short <laughs> That's of 100. That's probably happened. Damn it. Damn it. That's probably happened. I don't know if yeah. you'd care that much. And they had a big party planned. They had a big party planned because you were going to be 100th. And right. then what do they do? Yeah. Well, I guess. It's like. I guess we eat wah, the cake. Wah. Yeah. Guess we take yeah. the. Uh, and then. We uh, take the shoes back to uh, Carl Nordstrom. Reiner. And then Carl Reiner. Yeah. <laughs> Carl Reiner, yeah. Well, let's so. let's we'll get to both of those guys. First of all, Hugh Downs, okay, um, very prolific and enduring television guy. He was a he was a host. He was announcer. Announcing. Uh, I think he goes yep. back at least as, as far as the old Jack Parr show. And man, that's really going back for for whippersnappers out there. They have no idea who Jack Parr was. They might have heard, yeah. Of Johnny Carson, and maybe they heard of, yeah. you know, maybe Jimmy Fallon now or whatever. But uh, sure. Jack Parr was uh, one of the early hosts, if not the original host, of The Tonight Show. I see your, your holster's beginning to show, dude. One time Jack Parr famously walked off of The Tonight Show, and Hugh Downs had to take over for some time. I'm leaving The Tonight Show. There must be... A better way of uh, making a living than this. You have been peachy to me always. And then Parr came back. Three, two, one, here's Jack! As I was saying before I was interrupted, <laughs> I believe my last words were that there must be a better way of making a living than this. Well, I have looked. It was funny that he was playing a sidekick. I just don't see Hugh Downs, a serious newsman, playing yeah. a sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't uh, from, quite... from 1957 to 1962. Yeah, that's right. He, that's what he did. And then he was on the Today Show, and then he mm -hmm. did, I think, 2020 and shows like that. So he was around a long he did. time. Yeah. And then when he retired, he retired so fully that I figured, oh, he must have, he must, he must, must not be around anymore. So I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. That he uh, he's lived that long. He he was he was he was Did easy. Did you know to take. that he was a game show host? Yeah, was it concentration, something like that? Good poll. Oh, yeah. I'm very proud of you. Very nice. How about that? Yeah. yeah. And now here is the star of our show, you down. Well, it's even up as Bob said, and we're here ready to lurch into a new game. A friend of mine. He's done a lot. Uh, well, Ross Schaefer, you, you know Ross, he he yeah, hosted a yeah. couple of game shows in his career. One was called Love Me, Love Me Not, which he said uh, failed. But they, but they still did 130 episodes. You know, he did that game show up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he would fly back and forth mm -hmm. to do Almost Live back in the days. But mostly the game show was a summertime thing. When Almost Live was in hiatus. Mm -hmm. And then the other game show he did was a reboot of The Match Game. Match Game. And here's the star of Match Game. Ross Schaefer. Welcome to Match Game, everybody. We're glad that you could join us. 
yesterday. Uh, the one with Gene Rayburn is the original host. And uh, oh, you're talking about yeah, Rush I'm talking Aver, about Rush Aver. How did we get on Rush? I like Rush Aver. Well, I just talk about him because he has some game show experience himself, and he sent me a picture the other day of a coffee table book he has. He said only a nerd like you would appreciate this. <laughs> it's a book of a compendium of all of the TV game show hosts through the years. I yeah. love that. No, got I everybody think that's from cool. Alex Trebek to uh, Alan Ludden, you know, people like that, and including Hugh Downs, yeah. anybody who did a game show. Do you remember a guy named Bill Cullen? Man, this this podcast is skewing. Yes, old. Bill Cullen. Bill Cullen did twenty. Yeah, he had glasses yeah, and a crew cut. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah, he did yeah, twenty three yeah. game shows in his career. He wow. was uh, the, the the premier game show guy. Our host on the Price is Right. <laughs> Bill Cullen. Thank you. Thank you all very kindly. By golly. But you rarely saw Bill, Bill Cullen introduced at the beginning of the game show, and he would come out from behind the curtain and walk across the stage and take his place at the desk or the podium. But he rarely saw him do that because he had a childhood uh, polio-like uh, malady when he was a kid and so he had trouble walking and uh, mm. so to, to to make it easier they already had him behind the desk when the game show would begin well Mel Brooks speaking of Carl Reiner who we will next Mel Brooks tells a story that he was on a game show that Bill Cullen had hosted and Brooks said and it might have been the most embarrassing moment of my life I'd never met Bill Cullen before I did the game show. And he's behind the desk, and the, the show is over, and people are leaving, and, and Bill Cullen says, oh, Mel, I can't, I can't thank you enough. He leaves the desk. He says, Mel, I can't thank, thank, thank you enough. And I figured, oh, what, what? He's doing Jerry Lewis. He's doing, he's doing Jerry Lewis. So I, I say, oh, Bill, you know, I, you know. And Julia Mead is screaming, he had polio, he's crippled, he had polio, he's crippled, don't, and I'm telling Julia, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and, oh, no. Uh, so finally, oh. we, we reach center stage together, and he hugs me, and he hugs me, and he's crying. He said, no one ever had the nerve. He says, it's such a relief. I said, well, you know how to do it for you, Bill. Oh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what to say. But I thought I'd oh, share that God. with you. Nobody's ever heard that, you know. Hugh Downs holds a Guinness World Record. Well, he did. And then he got bumped. I'll tell you who bumped him. See if you can guess what the record okay. was for. Well, I, Regis oh, Philbin. Oh, time. Hours on, on the air. Re, hold on. Oh, wow, you're well, good. Be, uh, okay. Uh, Regis, on a network here. Yeah. Right? Uh, 15,188 hours on network commercial wow. television. He lost that record for most hours on all forms of TV to Regis Philbin. In what did you expect? Regis Philbin of now. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Regis, yeah, I don't know. Regis has kind of disappeared, too. You see him on an infomercial or two, but that's about it. I miss him. I liked yeah. him. Speak, speaking yeah. of sidekicks. Yeah. 
I liked him. I liked him and his wife when they yeah. hosted. I thought Joy. they were wonderful together. Re, uh, Regis Just, was a sidekick yeah, to wonderful. another talk show host. Joey Bishop had a talk show. Effervescent, always bubbly. To him, the flight of the bumblebee is a ballad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would now like you to meet Regis Philbin. I haven't buttoned so many buttons since I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Joey Bishop was hilarious. And Joey Bishop used to be a fixture on most game shows, not yeah. as a host necessarily, but he would always be on the panel He's of some like sort. Maybe so the I least remembered Bishop, member yeah. of, the, of the Rat Pack. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's them. right. See, I forgot already. God, You're right. We are really, really dating ourselves. I'm sorry. You shouldn't be any a part of this, Lisa. You're not as old as me. Why? Uh, Okay, yes, I next, am. Next, we're going to talk about I, Grandma Moses and what a great painter she was. <laughs> and what a party girl yes. she was. And, and yeah. So, okay. uh, let's, uh, uh, so, so uh, let's get on to Carl Reiner um, again. Another guy that almost made it to 100. He was 98 in his case. And um, Carl Reiner, I think if you're, uh, I don't know, when you're first kind of become aware of show business and TV people and, uh, entertainment like that, Carl Reiner would not be a guy that you'd say, "Oh God, he's great. I love him. He's fantastic," because his yeah his thing was, uh, I mean, he was funny in his own right. He was very funny, very good storyteller. But his fame came from being what you what they would call a second banana or a straight man. And a, a straight mm -hmm. man is a you know it's like uh, Bud Abbott, Lou Costello. Lou would do was the the short fat guy that would do all the funny stuff and. And then Bud Abbott would just be, you know, the guy kind of questioning him and not not handling the jokes, but doing all the setup for the jokes. Uh, loan me 50 cents. Louis. Abbott, I would like to loan you 50 cents, but I can't do it. All I got is 40 cents. 40 cents? Yeah. Well, all right. Give me the 40 cents and you owe me 10 cents. Right. All right? Wait a minute. What's the matter? How come I owe you 10 cents? What I ask you for? 50 cents. And what'd you give me? 40 cents. So you owe me 10 cents. How could I owe you 10 cents? I, now, wait a minute. Now, listen. I, I think you all that money I had in my pocket. I give you 40 cents. Are you with me again? No, I got to owe you 10 cents besides. I asked you for 50 cents. Well, all I had was 40 cents. And so I you owe me 10 cents. How can I owe you 10 cents? Take it easy. Take it easy. 40 cents and 10 cents is how much? Hey, that's, um, everybody knows that's, It's um, 50 cents. Oh, no, no. 25 and 25 is 50 cents. Uh, give me that. All right. Here's your 40 cents. Give me back the dime you owe me. Okay, now we're even. Now we're even. Okay. That's my own fault for asking you for well, a loan of uh, 50 cents. You tricked me too much into this. I shouldn't ask you for uh, 50 cents. How can I loan you 50 cents? Oh, all I got left now is 30 cents. Now, loan me the 30 cents and you owe me 20. Okay. Now, no arguments. Now, everything's all right. You owe me 20 cents. Mm. Now, make it... Uh, it's clear to you, am I right? How can I owe you 20 now, cents now? And that was what Carl Reiner's deal was, for the most part, through much of his career, particularly with Mel Brooks. And uh, Reiner goes back to the days when they, you know, had these 1950s comedy shows, Sid Caesar, particularly. And they had all these great writers on these shows. Uh, Mel Brooks, mm -hmm. uh, a guy named Tolkien. There was uh, there were a couple of females. Woody Allen, um, Larry Gelbart. All these famous comedy writers were part uh, of very young people at the beginning. You know, nobody knew. There was no precedent for it. Nobody knew how to do it. So they kind of invented it along the way. And Reiner mm -hmm. was one of the writers... But he would also play straight roles. He'd be the host or the announcer or game show host if they were doing a, a parody of a game show. And and I've become later in my life so appreciative of the skills that it takes to be a straight man. 
It's almost harder to be a good straight man, in my opinion, than it is to be a comedian. Because you have to have, mm -hmm. you have to understand the rhythm of the comic that you're being the straight man to, to make it work. And I think a great example of that is there was a popular game show called This Is Your Life. And they would take celebrities and they'd surprise them. And then, oh, yeah, yeah they'd surprise them. And then they would bring out like old school teachers, maybe members of their family they hadn't seen in years, and would tell the story of this celebrity's life through the people in their life. And it's a very popular show. Well, <coughs> excuse mm -hmm. me. <coughs> I'm back to the cigars again. They did a takeoff of This Is Your Life called something like This Is Your Story or something like that. And Mel Brooks is the mm -hmm. ostensible host of the bit. And they shot it live in front of the actual live audience of the show. And he says, this is your story. And the camera swings out into the audience. And it's Sid Caesar playing some character. And it, it just <laughs> is chaotic. Caesar tries to get out of the audience. And he's running around. And people are tackling him. And, and they did the whole thing live. There was no second takes. And uh, it all culminates finally on stage in just a hilarious, over-the-top, slapsticky. Now, Al. Uh, Al, yours has been a full uh, life. And here's a voice. Here's a voice that will bring back nostalgia and a flood of memories. We flew her in all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa. And here she is now. Listen and recognize this voice if you can, Al. But but I now I now I watch it and I watch Reiner more than I do the rest of the comedic performers on it, as he so deftly handles everything, gives lets people mm -hmm. shine, gives them their moment, moves on, lets each comic actor find their rhythm. It's really a skill set that he had, as good as anybody that's ever lived. I think, and of course he did a lot of other stuff. He directed movies and you know, produced the Dick Van Dyke show, arguably, to some people's mind, the greatest situation comedy show ever. Also, Alan, <clears throat> we uh, we think that you, you ought to cut that bowling pin sketch. Cut the ball! <laughs> uh, you, you want to cut the bowling pin sketch? Mel, have they got enough air down in that office? They have an air conditioner in there. Out. Shut up, Mel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Cut the bowling pin sketch? What do you want to cut that for? It's it's uh, much too long. What do you mean it's too long? It's a... Say, John, would you let go of my nose, please? <laughs> the whole sketch. Rob, what what is this about? Is this a practical joke or something? Uh, Alan, I wouldn't call plagiarism a joke. Plagiarism? Who's plagiarizing anything here? Uh, you are, Alan. You see. Will you shut up? Yes, sir. So what a career and what a life. Have you ever seen Jerry Seinfeld's? Comedians in cars getting coffee. It's an online um, streaming thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what it is. I didn't. I don't know. It wasn't that interesting well, to me. I, I, so I love I comics, and so he he basically spends fourteen twenty minutes with a different comic on each of these episodes. They get in the car. He picks them up. They get in the car, drive around. They wind up at a coffee place, and and they just tell jokes and talk about their careers. Well, one time he had a he had Mel Brooks as his guest, but they didn't drive around much. They went 
to Carl Reiner's house, where Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks have for years and years and years gotten together. Every night, they have dinner brought in, they eat dinner together, and then they would watch Jeopardy. It was like their their habit for years and years, and it's really kind of charming and sweet. <laughs> so that... Uh, One of the last pictures that, that he wanted posted on Twitter a uh, picture of uh, him. I don't know who the woman is. I'm going to assume it's his wife uh, and Mel Brooks. They're all three lying on a, uh, they're all three reclining with Black Lives Matter t-shirts oh, yeah. on. That, that's the other thing and, about uh, Reiner. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, Reiner was very active the, the, on social media uh, up until his final yeah. days. He was yeah. very outspoken. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they said he was very happy and vital up to the very, very end. And apparently the Dick Van Dyke show did a tribute to him a couple nights ago. Uh all in living color, special tribute to to Carl oh. Reiner, which I missed. I'll have to, I'll have to find saw. that. It's a, a CBS air, That's aired fantastic. it. So, I'll, yeah. I'll make sure I see yeah. it. Dick Van Dyke's still yeah. around. He's in his 90s, too. Yeah, yeah. But I was really a fan. I, You know, Carl Reiner, I didn't really, that was a little bit before my time. But his son, Rob Reiner, I became, a, I was a fan of because of his work on uh, all yeah. in the family. Meathead. Tell you something, Mr. Stivic. You are a meathead. <laughs> and meathead. Dead from the neck up. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he begat a very funny uh, young, uh, very funny And has had a very successful well, directing so. career of his own. This is Spinal Tap. Exactly. And, uh, yes. The Princess yes, Bride and yes. things like that. Yeah, The Princess yeah. Bride is my favorite. I read an article uh, recently an opinion piece about somebody who said, my friends for years have been telling me that you've got to see The Princess Bride. I had never seen it. Oh, It my didn't God. interest me. I didn't want oh, to see God. The Princess Bride. And so they said, finally, I watched it. And I hated it. I knew I would hate it, and I did hate it. Really? I don't know anybody who hates well, The that, Princess that person. Bride. There's so many... There's so many quotable quotes from that movie that you could use in everyday life. They just didn't um, find it compelling. They didn't find it entertaining. They really? didn't find it funny. Everybody's different, I guess. But this was a person who had purposely not watched The Princess Bride because based on the description of the movie, they said, I know I'm not going to like it. And they felt oh, vindicated when indeed they didn't like it. Never go in against the Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> bye bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. As you wish. Inconceivable. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Uh, it's such a sweet movie, and there are some very, very funny moments in the movie. It's it's not a laugh riot the whole no. way through, but it's it's very fun. I have a niece that um, I was the first one to show her the Princess Bride. She her mom her mom hadn't watched it, so she was probably about five or six years old, and that she's doubled her age, and that's still her favorite movie. She will still want to watch that with me when she comes and sees me. I love it. We've probably seen that movie. I don't know, a dozen yeah, times together. Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate it too. I love it. At different strokes, you know. Yeah, don't read the book. The book isn't that great. Um, so. The book, um, let's see, who wrote the book? We it was read a the screenwriter book. that wrote it. Very... William, yeah. hmm, I'll think of it, of course, too late. I'll look uh, it up. I'll yeah, look it up. Would you please? Because that, that screenwriter has written a book about screenwriting, which is deep. William Goldman. William Goldman, thank you, yeah. 
Uh, he uh, published in 1973. He wrote the Sting, among other movies. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. did. Holy yeah, cow! I didn't know that. Very prolific. But this this book that he wrote was specifically for he died, his granddaughter. By the way. Yeah, he's gone. He croaked. Yeah, but that was he wrote it for his granddaughter. The idea of it becoming a movie came along later, and I think it yeah. was Carl Reiner. I mean, uh, Rob Reiner's idea to make it into a movie because he liked the story and reading it to his kids. Yeah. So that's kind of well, how it happened. I just am shocked that person in life. It's just such an enchanting story and movie. It's just, I don't know. I really they tell a story it. about the making of Princess Bride and, and William, what did you say? Goldman. So William Goldman, William Goldman. Uh, it's his baby. He loves the story because his grandchildren love the story. So he goes to the, uh, I think it was a granddaughter, so he goes to the set, and Rob says, "Yeah, sure, come on in. You can watch us. You can watch us film." So William Goldman comes and he gets a chair in the back, and he's sitting back there, and uh, you know Rob Reiner is going, "Okay, action, rolling," and they're doing some scene, and they keep hearing this noise in the background, like a human. It's audible. It's a harumph, or mm -hmm. it's a chuckle, or it's a cough, or whatever. And they, they can't, and the audio guy says, sorry, we got to bust this take. I, I, I'm hearing something. I don't know where it's coming from. And Rob says, hmm, I, I don't know. Huh. Anybody got a clue? Nobody knew. They do another take. He still hears the noise again. They finally determine that it is William Goldman sitting in the back and he's reacting to the lines that he's written or the <laughs> movements that the actors are making and either <laughs> either approvingly or disapprovingly but he can't help but uh, oh uh, ooh, uh, like that <laughs> so <laughs> rob reiner has to say you know we're shooting audio here mr goldman i i can't yes. we're hearing you you quiet on yeah the you set. have to leave the set and he does and he never comes back again <laughs> uh but it, it, what, no hard feelings but that was just how it was it reminds me of did you ever see the movie caddyshack it doesn't sound like a oh, girl's God, yeah. movie. If I, if I, yeah, everybody saw Caddyshack because everybody loved Bill yeah. Murray. He was the thing in the in the eighties. Yeah. So everybody saw Love Caddyshack. It's not, it's not gender specific. It's well, it's kind of, it gets kind of crass, though. I, I wouldn't think. Uh, well, yeah, eh, it's well, okay. You know, but it, but it reminds me of that. Rod it was Rodney be. Dangerfield's first movie too. See, I'm not a fan of his. Oh, I think I love he's. Him. He's he's very unattractive. First of all, it's very hard to watch. Well, especially him for now, he's been passed away for some years. <laughs> even when he was, when he was considered fresh, he still was not easy. Yeah, but to that look was at. a bit. See? And I just, uh, yeah. Uh, that was the idea just, of it, I, Lisa. <laughs> I just thought his is not one single joke he ever told made me. You're laugh. kidding me. He had no. the best jokes. No, he had crappy. Oh my jokes. god! And you like the Princess Bride too? Okay, now this is starting to add up. No, but I mean, he. Well, he maybe had... it's because he was so ugly. Because oh, the people doing Princess Bride. He's just horrible, don't you think? He really an attractive but man. But that's the bit. It's like Phyllis Diller. They, that was part of their shtick. Phyllis Diller is funny. Yeah, she's funny. She's funny. Rodney Dangerfield was stupendous. I, I no, totally disagree not. with you. I would never use that word. I would never use that word. I would completely disagree name. with you. And I, you know, I right, rarely disagree example. with you. Give me a, you disagree with me all the time. Give me Check an example. Check this one out. Hey, oh, kid, I know I'm ugly. I stuck my head out the window, got arrested for mooning. <laughs> I know I'm ugly. I went to a freak show. They let me in for nothing. <laughs> kid, I was an ugly kid, too. How ugly? How ugly? 
I was so ugly, my mother breastfed me through a straw. I'm ugly, I'm Tony, and my proctologist, he stuck his finger in my mouth. Now, when I was born, after the doctor cut the cord, he hung himself. And my old man, he didn't like my looks either. But he carried around a picture of the kid who came with the wallet. Are oh, you kid? I know I'm ugly. Halloween, I open the front door, kids give me candy. Now, that's funny. That's funny. And he and these are his own jokes. He writes his own stuff. Um, so tell. he does this he movie, Caddyshack, and he's never been in a movie before. And so he's very... Oh, yeah. You told you told this yeah, he's story. Insecure. You told this story. Yeah, because he, he, yeah, it's not a live audience reaction. Yeah, he's He thinks he's flopping, yeah. and he's not doing well because he's, not, he's used to getting audience laughter and applause, and right. he's getting none of it because on, right. a, on a movie set, of course, you can't. Or, or you'll bust the tape. So I tell you, now when Mona died last winter, I said to myself, Al, if you keep busting your hump 16, 20 hours a day, you'll end up with a $60 million funeral, you know? <laughs> hey, doll, can you scare another round for our table over here and tell the cook this is low-grade dog food, all right? And here, take this for yourself, okay? Jeez, I had better food at the ball game, you know? <laughs> I tell you, this steak still has marks where the jockey was hitting. And somebody had to explain to him that that's why nobody's laughing. Oh, they're trying to laugh, but believe me you're killing them but they can't i love your phrase bust the take is that an industry sort of a i guess I phrase I, I maybe it is i bust think it the is take yeah, it, yeah. it's any time that it's very the cool. take is is ruined uh and I'm, we're all over the map here but you know who really revolutionized movie making in his own way jerry lewis he came up with the idea yeah. of what they call a video tap and it uh, was is a way that you can watch a take back of a of a movie that's being shot on film. So back in the days when they only shot movies on film, you had to wait a day or two in what they called the rushes, and you only then could could the director watch the scene back to see if he got it, mm -hmm. to see if it was good. Because mm -hmm. you had to wait for it to be yeah, developed. Yeah, you had to wait for it to be developed. Uh, if you were shooting overseas, maybe you had to ship it back to the U.S. where it was developed. So it could even be a number of days before you could be assured that you got the take you were hoping for. But Jerry Lewis came up with the idea of doing a videotape tap of of the same camera that is shooting the mm -hmm. film. So immediately after a scene is over with, you can watch it back on video to be assured that you got the angles right, they, there wasn't a camera boom shot in the way, uh, the audio was good and all of that. Think of the money that saved. And and, yeah. and and the silly Jerry Lewis is the guy that came up with it. He really was pretty yeah. prolific and inventive. Uh, yeah. A lot of people don't give him credit for that. There you go. So one last yeah. thing about uh, Carl Reiner, uh, and that was his association with Mel Brooks. And they used to go to parties together and they would do this bit that they came up with called the 2,000-year-old man. And Mel Brooks was this guy that supposedly had lived for 2,000 years. And Reiner is the straight man. And he just throws stuff at Mel Brooks. He said, so, did, mm -hmm. you know, so, so did you know Jesus? Know him. Oh, I loved him. He was a terrific guy. Did the miracles. It was great. You know, he, he would, he would mm -hmm. put Brooks on the spot with questions they hadn't planned in advance. And he loved watching Brooks just wriggle his way out, just create mm -hmm. humor spontaneously. He would come up with stuff that I swear if you put a six of the greatest joke writers in a closet together 
uh, for six days, they couldn't come up with stuff as funny as what Mel Brooks... This gentleman here is one of the phenomena of the world. He looks no older than Mr. Sean, and yet he is 2,000 years old. Is that true, sir? Yes. You want to see my driver's license? No, no. We, we have not authenticated. The Mayo Clinic has checked you out and said that you are 2,000. Sir, what has kept you alive for 2,000 years? When I'll go on an airplane, if I'll go on an airplane, I'll never sit in the first two seats or the last two seats from an airplane. You mean not sitting in the first two or the first last two seats? Two and the last two has seats. kept you alive? I don't understand that. Why? Has that because kept you alive? if the plane, unfortunately, should take a flop out from the sky, you're going to go down with it and break your foot. Right? <laughs> yes. But if, if the plane, as you say, flops out of the sky, everybody in all the seats will break their feet. I mean, at least. Yeah, let me amend that. Any seat is no good. In other words, you're afraid to fly in an airplane. On the nosy. <laughs> I see, but why? Because if the good Lord meant man to fly, he would have given him tickets, right? <laughs> so somebody finally got the idea, you know, we should be recording these things. And they finally did, and those recordings exist today. They were hugely popular albums, and it was all just mostly ad-lib stuff, both ad-libbed from the Carl Reiner and from Mel Brooks. The first Mel Brooks movie I ever watched, sadly was Blazing Saddles, which is just, I remember being a teenager, and that's all the kids talked about was, oh my God, have your parents taken you to see Blazing? Because you couldn't yeah, get in yeah, as a teenager because it was rated it was R. Huge. But it, just such a dumb movie. But I just, I loved his, uh, you know, uh, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I think and, Young Frankenstein uh, was my favorite. High Anxiety yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah those. And of course, um, his, one of his earlier movies before course. all of those was the original Producers. The producers. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, and that's then even right. Before that, he did one called Twelve Chairs. But of course, when people think about Blazing Saddles, what's the scene they always bring up? Oh God, the beans around the campfire. And uh, they almost didn't include it in the movie. Even Brooks thought it was too too gross and too stupid, but they did. It is stupid. Yeah, of course it's, it's so tremendously stupid. stupid. But that's yes. the one. That's the thing that people remember. But besides being a stupid movie, which it mostly was, <laughs> it was a stupid I thought, movie. I thought that it made a great social statement in its own oh, way. Oh, absolutely! This idea yes, of a black sheriff much. coming into town and. And, and 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 the 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 prejudices yeah. that he faces and how he overcomes them and yeah it's really wonderful and Gene Wilder is just a oh, gem in yeah. anything yeah. he's in so there you yep. go I loved it too uh, but I thought Young yeah. Frankenstein was the superior movie I loved the the look of it it, it they got it the yep. black and white look uh, they they made you know they they moved the producers the movie to be a stage production it was a huge hit. Right. I think uh, Matthew Broderick yeah. uh, started yeah, right. that for yeah. years and years. And yeah. so they said, well, let, let's do the same thing with Young Frankenstein. Let's move that to Broadway. Oh, they yeah. did? I didn't know they, yeah, did. they did. And it, was, it did okay. It wasn't as big a hit. But I thought, you know what? If it oh. was me, I would make the whole stage play black and white. I, You know, people had to have white face on. Oh, interesting. And I'd black clothes. I'd make it uh, black and white, the scenery, everything. 
maybe that's a little too high concept for for Broadway. That's whatever, awesome. What a what I that's really they smart. They didn't do it that way, but uh, yeah. So he's Mel Brooks has had uh, quite a career, but his association with Carl Reiner wasn't just a professional one, but they were the best friends too. So yeah. it's got to be a tough passing for for Mel Brooks, who's kind of. Yeah. Getting near the end of the road himself right now. Yeah. Well, man, I can't believe we talked about those guys so much. This is the oldest skewing podcast we have ever done. And <laughs> I make no apologies yeah. for it. I love it. Yeah, it's because, and it's probably a good thing that young people aren't croaking as much as old people. Oh, I we'd know. Be talking about, we'd, be, we'd be talking about them. And so that would be really sad if we talked about a actor or singer who's 28 years old and croaked. Yeah, so. You're right about that. Sad either. Yeah, I got a question that. for you. I was thinking about this the other day. <coughs> oh, damn it. I got to switch cigars. These white owls aren't working for me. I was wondering, and you are a, an only child, and that would, it would be. Uh, maybe. Yeah, oh, well, maybe yeah, not. That's true. But you that know, you grew up as an only child, I guess, is your experience yes, was did. that you were the only child. Uh, by the way, yes. anything new on that front? Nah, we'll get into okay. that later. So yeah, uh, we'll I was, I remember. This, and I, I hadn't thought about it in years. And I remember one time, I just, every kid gets fed up with their parents or their parent or something. And they decide, that's it. I've had it. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm running away. Running away to get away. Ha, 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 ha. You're wearing out your shoes. And so I remember one time I was planning to run away. Now we had a house that was right next to a forest and a pretty considerable forest area. So I decided I was gonna go run away. I can't remember what I was pissed off about. It must have been something huge. And so I decide, that's it, I'm gone, I'm out of here. And I go out into the woods. And this is just in the daytime, you know. And But I'm out in the woods maybe, you know, maybe an eighth to a quarter mile. I think I can still see our house through through the branches of trees and stuff like that. And I'm out there and I'm figuring out, okay, I got a sleeping bag here. And I think I brought a little pup tent out there. And this is where I'm gonna live from now on. And I'll just take it day by day and maybe I'll move further away eventually. But for right now, this is where I'm gonna live. And I, re and I can still remember the thoughts that I hope they will mount a search party and come looking for me. Because uh, I think in the back of your mind, you want to be rediscovered. But of it, course, you want to feel valuable, yeah. and yeah, you and you know, want them to feel bad, significant enough yeah. <laughs> to look for you. Yeah. yeah, if they don't bother, and when you're one of, like I had cousins, they had thirteen kids. They wouldn't have noticed one of oh those kids God. missing. I mean, it could <laughs> gone on for a couple of months, and they, hey, whatever happened to Maury? Is he still around? I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> But with us, there was a better chance that eh, maybe they wouldn't notice me missing right away. It'd probably come up from one of the other, my brothers. Hey, I haven't seen Pat yeah. in a while, Mom. Oh, really? When's the last time you saw him? Uh, a couple years ago. So I'm out in the woods and I'm setting up camp and this is where I'm going to live. I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was 11, 12. I figured, now nah, I'm going to live out here until I'm, I don't know, 18, 19. And then I'll maybe get a job, move to another town. They're never going to see me again. 
and and they're going to yeah, feel you like you sound like you had a pretty you had a solid plan yeah, in I place. On, and I and I wanted know, them to feel like how you were going to get food <laughs> and all that sort well, of thing. And that. going to school and oh, yeah. School. Forget huh. school. I'm not going to school. And what about when it snows mm. in the forest? Yeah, you sound like you thought it all out very well. <laughs> well okay. So how long did it go when on? When you're furious, you don't build I know. a plan. That's you know, true. Just, That's very you're reactive. true. And so I went yes. out there and I just uh, I just said, well, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll build myself a tunnel or I'll find a cave <laughs> for the winter time. It was all possible. Boy, you must have been really fed up. I was. To want to live in it's a It's funny. Cave. I can remember running away, but I don't remember why. But uh, th- yeah. there, you don't know what set there you had off. to be a good reason for it. Yeah. So I'm out there and I'm, uh, you know, like I said, let's say it's like one in the afternoon. It's probably summertime. It's one in the afternoon. Uh, by 2, 2.30, I'm already getting bored with the idea. There's, <laughs> there's no TV. There, I brought some food with me. But I'm going through that pretty fast. And I'm getting, I brought a couple of cans of pop out there and I drank one of those already. And I'm thinking, and there's no sign that anybody has noticed me missing. Because if you're going to run away, you, you're trying to make a big statement. And you want yeah. there to be a reaction, a big reaction. Yeah, you want, you want helicopters <laughs> yeah. and dogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you want to hear from the house. Oh my and God! Basically, God! <laughs> I can't find him. <laughs> now, now relax, relax. Well, we'll find him. We'll find him. Uh, well, don't worry. We'll find... <laughs> That's what you want to hear in the distance. <laughs> By the way, last podcast we did, I can't even remember yeah. what it was, but there, there, there was. Uh, there was something we were doing, or I was saying something. Or screaming, I can't remember what, during our podcast. And I hear afterwards, I hear afterwards that there are people walking down the trail, and there are neighbors going by, and they heard me screaming. And, the, and Patty's just come in the room and said, you just did it again. Yeah, I had to call them off. They were coming over. Neighbors were coming over to investigate. I'm sorry. I forgot again. <laughs> oh, man. I, I am See, in trouble. See, somebody cared. Aren't you glad somebody came running? Well, I think I, uh, right in the middle, uh, right in the middle of a story. About, about the very same thing. About the very same thing. So, see, you're significant. Oh, I'm in trouble is what People I am. People care about you. I think you. I better run away. Yeah. I mean, I am I am in hot water right now. She's really mad. I wish you could have seen her face. She's she's furious. Oh, I've seen that face. She's furious. No, I've seen her face when she's furious. Uh, Not at me. I've seen her face when she's furious oh, at yeah, you. Yeah, it happens uh, a couple times an hour at least, <laughs> and that's when I'm not home. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Now I've kind of forgot where we were. It, so you're out in, yeah, the out in the forest, and an hour and a half's gone. Up, but you've gone through your yeah. food. You drank, you drank your pop. You're getting bored. What do you well, do? Well, I'm there for five hours. I, if it's one, if wow. it's one o'clock, it's now that's, six o'clock. That's six p.m. Okay, you're probably getting, I'm getting hungry. hungry. You can't shoot I a rabbit. I forgot to bring any book think that far books ahead. with me or anything to read. So there's really nothing to do out there. Just stand around. And, 
There's a lizard running by, maybe. Not much going on. And finally, I just say, okay. I pick up my stuff, and I trudge back home. And I put my stuff back away. And nobody, nobody knew that I had run away. Not anybody. Nobody in my family. It was my big running away moment. And nobody knew. And nobody cared. I'm sorry. Uh, it's too bad. You're, you're still holding well, on to that, Well, if I'd have stuck with it, but five hours is not running away. That's, that's you know, that's going shopping yeah. or something. And back in those days when we got up in the morning in summer and left and played all day and didn't come back till dinner, that was the norm. Nobody kept tabs on their kids back yeah. then. They didn't, Well, that's part know. of it. You're right. So, that's part of it. Maybe nowadays yeah. if you're a kid 11 years old and you're missing for five hours, your parents are going to start wondering where you are. But at that time, nobody cared. And there's no more to that yeah. story. But I was just wondering if I'm you, as a, as a solitary child, did you ever run away? Did you plot to run away? Um, you know, I had a much less, uh, idyllic childhood than you did. Um, so, uh, I don't have anything amusing to, to talk about there. I did leave my home when I was 16 and for reasons that I don't want to get into, but, wow. um, yeah, I was on my own. Hmm. 16, I, you know so. what? Yeah, I've known you for a long but, time. I never knew that. Yeah, you did. We talked about it one night when I was at your house. We we had a few glasses of well, wine. Well, I guess that was. <laughs> you yeah, forgot. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> you forgot. Well, it's that's okay. too. That's too it's bad. It's all right. But, but uh, I no, I mean, yeah, I, it was. the The problem was, I you know, you had the the luxury of having a buffer of other kids yeah, around. I did. That you could blame crap yep. on. I if something happened, if something went down. They were always looking at me. Yeah. I'm like, but I didn't. And they're like, well, dude, who else is there? It's you. Yeah. D where'd all the cookies go? I couldn't go. Oh, yeah. No. Mm -mm. Nope. That wasn't me. You could. You had four other brothers. Yeah, I did. And, and uh, the time I almost burned an entire forest down, the same forest where I ran away. And uh, I blamed it on a fictitious kid. Uh, it was kind of a composite kid. <laughs> Uh, of various bullies in the in the neighborhood that I, to, I told uh, why didn't you blame it I on your brother I told the brothers? fire chief that and I invented this this kid that didn't exist well my brother was with me and so I made him swear oh. that he couldn't tell anybody what I had done it was an accident but that didn't hold any water yeah and so uh, right yeah so you should have created a composite character <laughs> I know but we lived out in the in the boondocks so it's not like there's you any know. other kids around oh really yeah. There's a, yeah, that kid came 10 miles away and ate all the cookies. Well, it's a, mis They're probably a not mysterious kidding. stranger, <laughs> a hobo, mom and dad. Came and ate yeah. the cookies. There's a word yeah, you don't hear anymore, hobo. Yeah. Okay, I think it's time for our joke. Well, it is, but you started the podcast off by asking how I was, and then you didn't wait for me to I answer. I will wait and tell you how I am because I have something. Well, that wait a minute. I'm tell me now. Curious. No, no, no. We're going to do no, the joke. No, no, you won't remember next, next podcast. time. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will. I am embarking on something. See, people that right I'm... now are frustrated. They say, God, Cashman, if you'd well, shut your, your pie fault. hole and let yeah, her tell yeah, her yeah, what. Yeah, well, yeah, now I want to yeah. know. I was going to. 
No, I am not comfortable talking about it oh, right now. Whatever. Now, which is ironic because I was comfortable talking about how my butt itched last yeah. pe- pe- podcast, yeah. but I don't want to really talk about okay. this. Well, so. w- would I'll you write it, it down and don't and don't let me go off on a tangent? I won't. Because what what did I, I tell you at the beginning of this podcast before we started what? recording? I, I told know. you I what had you nothing. Say? I said I have no I uh, topics in mind. I have no ideas. I have not. I have nothing yeah. to offer. You've got to carry this entire podcast. And then once we finally get underway, well, this is what always surprises me about you is you say that, and I'm I'm telling you that in the decades we've known each other, we've never sat and had an uncomfortable silence with one another ever. That would actually so be a good we thing. Always, Let's have one right now to have an uncomfortable. Okay, that oh, yeah, was. Weird. I can't take that. Yeah, yeah that, that was wasn't even weird. very long. Okay, so get on All with your right. joke, and I promise you, we will lead the next okay. episode with how Lisa Foster okay. is, because I'm not sure how okay. I am. I need Don't your. Don't forget. I need. I'm writing it down. I okay. won't. Here we go. This is a tawdry joke, but I also realize it's a joke that if a little kid was listening to it, he wouldn't pick up on any of it. So it's it's a kind of a dirty joke. I don't think I don't think our demographic skews towards. I'm just saying <laughs> towards little kids. I'm just saying nobody can <laughs> say that was the filthiest joke, and I can't believe the language you used because there's no bad language in this joke. It, but it's a dirty joke. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Here yay. we go. Yay. It goes back to um, uh, Arthurian legend, and and King Arthur is preparing to go out on an expedition. And he was going to be away from Camelot for, well, a, a period of time that was rather indefinite. So he uh, got worried. He, I don't, I, I don't feel right about leaving Queen Guinevere here alone with all these horny knights of the Round Table. So he goes to Merlin for some advice. He explains his predicament to Merlin. He said, "I don't trust these guys, Merlin. Uh, is there anything you can suggest?" The wizard looks thoughtfully for a moment, and then he said. You know what? Come back in a week. I'll have. In fact, Merlin sounded like this. Why don't you come back? And... I was gonna say I'm a little. I'm I'm a little disappointed that Merlin and King Arthur sound exactly the yeah, same. Okay, so so King Arthur says, uh, I say, Merlin, can you help me? <laughs> I'm a, I don't trust these blokes with Queen Guinevere. Uh, they they they're, they're not to be trusted. Oh, they have wonderful knights and they're brave and all of that, but they are incredibly horny. Well. I, let me ponder it for a week. Come back and I shall have a solution for you. Very well. And off they go. So a week later, King Arthur's back in Merlin's laboratory, where the good wizard showed him his latest invention. He said, look what I've invented here. Look what I've invented here. Sorry, I was doing your voice. Look what I've invented here, Arthur. What is it? Well, take a look. It's a chastity belt that I invented. Oh, yes, chastity belt. That's a good idea. Wait a minute. What? This chastity belt has a rather large hole in the most obvious place. Oh, yes, I could explain that. You see... Oh, God. Okay, come on. This is no good, Merlin. Look at this opening here. How How is this supposed to protect Lady Guinevere? Absurd. She's the queen. Just observe now. And Merlin searches his cluttered workbench until he finds what he's looking for. He then selects his most worn-out wand. And one that he's going to throw away anyway. And he inserts it into the 
uh, aperture, if you will, of the chastity belt, whereupon a small guillotine blade, a guillotine blade, comes down and cuts that wand in two. The monarch says, Okay, well, that sounds effective. Merlin, you're a genius. <laughs> you're a genius. Now I can leave knowing that my queen is fully protected. So after putting Guinevere in the device, King Arthur set out upon his quest. Several years passed before he returned to Camelot. Finally, wow. yeah, a long time. Immediately, he gets back and he assembles all his knights in the courtyard and he has every one of them do what, do you think, Lisa? Pull their pants exactly. down. Drop their trousers for an informal short arm inspection. <laughs> and sure enough, each and every one of them was either amputated or <gasps> damaged in some way. What? Yes, all of them. Oh, except for one, Sir Galahad. And Arthur says, Sir Galahad, you are the one and only true knight. Only you among all the nobles have been true to me. What is it in my power that I can grant you? Name anything, and it is yours, Sir Galahad. But Sir Galahad oh. was speechless. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a Thanks for listening to Peculiar Podcast. Hey, goodbyes. <laughs> Join Pat and Lisa online at PeculiarPodcast.com. The gift that keeps on giving the whole year. And on the Peculiar Podcast Facebook fan page. Sweet. On Twitter at Peculiar Podcast, at Mr. Pat Cashman, and at Foster Chick. Join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. Oh.